She turned up a couple of hours ago and got stuck in. She looks okay. Oh, I think we have to take her at her word. And if she gets overwhelmed, we'll send her home. It's good to see. Well, perhaps she's more resilient than we imagine. Hmm. Wonder where she gets it from. Ah. Oh. So, what about a birthday? Is that still stick a candle in a muffin? She says she's having a rethink. Well, I'm thinking two muffins. <laughs> The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 242 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that reckons that we were only a couple of scenes away from a desperate Ali and Yasmin borrowing some of Rufus's drugs and knocking Zidane out and mailing them back to that London. I'm Gavin. And I have officially gotten rid of your grand's King George Coronation glass. Oh, there we go. You're welcome. Huzzah. Huzzah. To be fair, I could have got rid of it. Yeah, but not for $50. Yeah. 50 bucks <laughs> fucking 50 bucks buy you these days tank of gas that's what oh Get that's, tank of gas. that's that's pretty good yeah buy you a couple books a nice lunch for one <laughs> a moderate lunch for two <laughs> it'll barely cover mcdonald's for four people yeah you can get an awful lot of change no that's true mcdonald's is you could go you're, to the you're, you're better going to a restaurant. Yes, that's very true. So that's always been the case, but, yeah. but now fiscally. Fiscally, yes. You're better going to a restaurant. You could go to a movie and get a large popcorn for $50. And a medium soft drink. Yes, but no Pepsi Freeze. No. I get a hard time from the kids every time I ask for a Pepsi Freeze because <laughs> it's like, just say freeze. <laughs> no, you have to say freeze. Pepsi Freeze. <laughs> have a Pepsi, Pepsi register trademark freeze, please. <laughs> Can I have a Pepsi freeze? I'm not sure what you're doing to the audio here, but I'd, I'd like you to stop. I'm, I'm pretending to be. Oh, I know what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really talking about the consequences of that. Ah, okay. Yes, it was the, the first day of our premier antique auction at work. Auction talk again, folks. Yes. <laughs> it's my life. What can I say? And you and I decided that it was time. It was time to get the last royal thing out of this house that we carted all the way from Scotland mm. once upon a time. Eight years ago, coming up. Yeah, yeah. So, figured the royals are in the news an awful lot. So, You've this is the that, time. This is this is the time to and and it it did really well. Fifty dollars for one little glass. It's pretty good. Now this was a picture of. King and Queen, the Queen Mother. It wasn't Kiwi Two no. and and Pip. Yeah, it was, it was George, George and Ethel. George the and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. Yes, from nineteen thirty-seven. From, from 19, the nineteen thirty-seven, the nineteen thirty-seven coronation right. of King George the Third. It's the third, I think, isn't it? Nah, that was a mad one, wasn't it? I thought the mad one was the first one. 
They're all a bit mad, aren't they? The one that was married to Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, was George the... Third. Sixth. Oh, the sixth. Okay. Well, it's divisible by three, so it's in the ballpark. Oh, the lengths that Helm will go to <laughs> to try and be right. No, it's, no, three is six. <laughs> it's close enough. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so day two is tomorrow, and I have this nineteen thirties rayon Hawaiian dress. Rayon. Rayon. Keep it away from uh from all naked flames. That I'm that I'm quite excited for because it's like pushing two hundred dollars at the moment. So I expect it to just go crazy tomorrow and then I can take you out all to those, all those rayon fans. It's it's from the nineteen thirties and Hawaiian nope, shirts. No, no. Say it properly. The nineteen thirties. Well do. And and shake the table. <laughs> and you know, you get Hawaiian shirts all the time. You don't get the Hawaiian dresses quite so often. So yeah. I picked that up from a yard sale. It was in a free box, but the lady charged me a dollar anyway, and I guess that's fine now. Yeah. And I'm gonna make like You were fuming about <laughs> it at the time though. I was. Fucking fuming. It was in the free box. Don't put it in the free box if it's not free. But anyway, thank you to that lady. I hope she enjoyed her dollar. <laughs> That's not what you said at the time. <laughs> you hoped that she choked. So what were you doing while I was busy flogging British royal stuff onto unsuspecting Americans? I was working. What else did you do this week? I don't know. Oh, I worked. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yours, please. Give us some of that Hawaiian coffee news. Coffee news? Coffee news. I'm trying to do two segments in one. Cory on crusade. Cory on a crusade. Julie Hesmonda. Is that how you say her name? Hesmonda. Yes, Hesmonda. <laughs> and Anthony Cotton, amongst others, have voiced concern over the possible closing of the Oldham Coliseum, one of the oldest running theatres in the United Kingdom. The theatre has lost an, a 1.8 million subsidy from Arts Council England, so may be forced to close by the end of March. And people are quite upset about it. I like it when celebrities do this sort of thing. Yes. I like when they remember their roots at... Little theatres that are dotted around the country and, and little uh, little groups, little acting right. groups, little uh, after-school clubs and things like that. Stuff that put them on the path to the, the great and good things that they've done. I like it when they remember that and, mm -hmm. and, and lend, lend the weight of their fame to, Absolutely. to their, their survival. It, it's all for the good. I, I really... I really dig that. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, it seems like a really messed up situation because apparently the ACE, the Arts Council of England, is still giving that 1.8 million subsidy to the Oldham Council, but they don't want them to use it for the Coliseum. They want them to use it to to build other things for the arts. And it's like, you've got this beautiful building already. Why increase your carbon footprint by building something new? 
Apparently there's a dog fight outside. Some more interesting than Corey this week. Welcome to Mid Michigan. Charlotte Jordan has issued speaking of dogs. <laughs> Charlotte Jordan has issued a Valentine's Day mea culpa for only posting pictures with her dog and not her partner Paul <laughs> on the most loved up day of the year on the Insta. She's like, sorry, not sorry, Paul. I love the dog more. Yeah. Which is, which is hilarious. Which is hilarious. It's good that, I mean, this is why she's so good at her job. It's because she's genuinely funny in real life as well. Yes. Yes. And finally, Colson Smith is hitting the road to Sweden as he prepares to tackle the Stockholm Marathon in June. It'll be his first running of a marathon. Oh, wow. And he's decided to do it in Stockholm. Not making any comments about Stockholm Syndrome at all. <laughs> and you'd be wise not to. Yes. I wonder if that's deemed to be... Because you know, some of these marathons are more tricky than others. Right. The course is trickier and the climate's trickier. I would mm. imagine Sweden's probably... Uh, a tricky climate. A, I think it's probably quite a welcome climate. They'll just yeah. keep you nice and cool as you're running, as opposed to in a desert, for example. Not many marathons in deserts, I don't think. Oh, I think you probably would be surprised. Is there a Phoenix marathon? don't think so. Yeah, I would think that the air would be rather thin in Sweden, though. Wouldn't it? Why? Isn't that where, like... Isn't it quite hilly there? I don't think parts of it are quite hilly, but I don't think... Stockholm? I, I think they can probably find a fairly flat 26 miles of it. In one city? Yeah. Oh, we'll see. I don't know. I've never been to Stockholm. Have you been to Stockholm? I haven't. And nor have I ever run a marathon, but but I, <laughs> but I have heard... Do tell. But I have heard that some marathons are trickier than others. Absolutely. See, I would find something like New York or Boston, you know, things like that, tricky. Because I don't really like to run or walk on pavement. I'm much better on dirt, as you know. Because when we're hiking, I'm the faster one. But when we're walking in town, you're the faster one. Yeah. And I'm faster in hills. I, and I you're can't, faster I can't in walk. flats. I, I really just can't deal with the elevation. Yeah. The, the thinness of the air makes my heart race. Yeah. Well, I, whereas, for some reason, I thrive in thin air. The Stockholm Marathon, apparently, is a 2.1 out of 5 for difficulty. Oh. But a 4 out of 5... For scenery. Oh, so it shall be a lovely run for our Coulson. An exciting race in a beautiful city with runners from all over the world and Manchester. <laughs> this is one of the major sporting events in Sweden with hundreds of thousands of spectators along the route cheering the participants. The course is basically two laps through the central parts of Stockholm. Oh, so... Two laps of Stockholm. Fairly easy then. Well, I mean... 2.1. <laughs> 2.1. So kind of in the middle. Give me give me another one. Like Boston, you said? Yeah, Boston. Boston Marathon. Let's see what, what that comes up with. This is fascinating. <laughs> for two people who will never so the run a marathon. Boston Marathon's a 3.8 uh -huh. for difficulty. So that would be more difficult. <laughs> That's what the numbers would suggest, yes. Helen. Although not quite as clear as 3 and 6. But <laughs> yeah. More difficult, yes. Yes. And, and better scenery as well. 4.1 for scenery. Really? Mm -hmm. In Boston? 
Well, opposed to Stockholm. Stockholm, maybe Stockholm's a bit of a dump. Well, parts of Boston are quite dumpy. I know this from experience. Anyway. Anyway, that's Corey News. But with some extra, that is Corey with News. With some extra hints for your next trip to <laughs> Stockholm. Don't bother. <laughs> and now we'll podcast for coffee. drinking the wrong coffees this week <gasps> well I'm we're dr- not drinking coffee i am you are i've got some coffee from this morning still left yikes that's that's cold i quite like cold coffee hmm. anyway the talk of the street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the youtubes but if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it if you want to show your appreciation you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street and we'll be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yes, we will. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about edible thong. Oh, this has something to do with Daisy. Right? That's right, this was Sean talking about a Valentine's <laughs> Day gift from days gone by. Somebody gave him a edible thong. I think it was a homemade edible thong. Yeah, you you, you may well make that face. <laughs> I, I was Gavin and you were going to swear a lot today. A lot. Yes, I will swear less today. But I will be swearing an awful lot, I feel, in the coming weeks. This was the week that David turned a blind eye to his son drugging Amy with GHB. God. You actually didn't swear as much as I expected you to mm. get to that week. Right. You did swear a lot, though. Who knew that he would become this awful terrorist? Who knew? Yeah. This wasn't even the start of it last right. year. This has been going on for He's been like terrorizing people for a long time on yeah. the street. Mostly women. It just didn't count because it was women. Less is more. But in this case, more was more. I always get confused between Channing Tatum and Tatum Channing, and I still couldn't tell you to this day which one is right. Lydia's getting on great with her imaginary boyfriend, but her imaginary night of passion with oysters and champagne leaves her in imaginary bad shape the next day. Just as things are threatening to get back to normal with Gina... Gina? Gemma and Chesney, there's a whiff of calamari and Joseph's other granny rolls into town to set the cat amongst the pigeons. I liked his other granny. I did too. She was nice. Yes. Tim's mum has signed herself up for a heart health course which takes her molly coddling to new levels and leaves Sally feeling shut out. Social worker Lou plans a visit with Toy and Imran which leads them to believe that their time with Elsie is drawing to a close. <gasps> Would that bloody child just smile once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> Amy heads to the school disco with some Valentine's Day vodka But by the time she gets to the nightclub Jacob begins to worry that her drink has been spiked Daisy's toothbrush is Daisy's toothbrush Simon misremembers last year And <laughs> Gina loves a pub quiz Our moment of the week was Imran and Toya getting engaged And our boring moment of the week was Daniel not blowing out all the candles I can't remember what that means but it sounds dead boring and Did I'll, he have a birthday this week? It was Alia's birthday this week. Was Daniel blowing out Alia's candles? Not like that last year. 
Who knows? Who knows? And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. It this was time that boring. Last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is our last storyline. So let's start with our second storyline, which is pushing the Sean reset button. <laughs> Just a few scenes on Monday here. We're starting off with one of the, the shorter ones of the week. That's nice. On Monday, Eileen's Sean has phoned in sick and is happy moping and cyber-stalking Lawrence. Well, apparently Lawrence has gone on holiday anyway. Yeah, he went on that holiday. Well, he'd already booked it. He might as well go. Good for him. Yeah, and then he posted the pictures of himself, you know, hiking in the mountains of Stockholm. Not of Stockholm. <laughs> St- Stockholm, Switzerland. Yeah. Right, yes. And um, on his... Uh, on his grinder page. Yeah, that's him back on the grinder again. Yes, that's him back on the grinder. Dylan has no sympathy and steals his phone and goes off to school. That was hilarious. Yeah. Sean feels that he has the right to wallow and he's doing so alone because everyone else is busy, which means too busy for Sean. Later, Todd is in speed dial for a date with an unknown and possibly fictitious suitor. Sean comes in and has not the date and is quick no. to point this out to Yasmin. Todd apologises for the Lauren stuff and Sean puts on a brave face and orders a curry for one. So Todd goes home after blowing his day off. And I like that. He says he's he'd rather hang out with Sean with some Malbec and popcorn. And the two of them get talking and Todd admits that he's finally over the vicar. Sean says relationships are too hard and they're both happy to be just friends again or brothers more like, right. says Todd. Yes, and then Eileen comes in. And yells at them as if they were both her sons and says that they are smelly and they need to clean up the living room because they are smelly. Lovely stuff. Yes. That's as far as we get with that this week. Nice little gentle opener. Yes. It was very nice. I don't really have an awful lot to say on this more than was said last week, but we do seem to be pressing the old reset button for Sean quite a bit here we did so with Frank we did it when Lawrence left the first time and they were doing it when Lawrence left the second time yeah and Lawrence I'm imagining Lawrence is Lawrence coming back I don't think so I'm not aware of of any news on that front but it kind of felt that he if he does come back what's wrong with him I I think less of him right if he does come back then he definitely is a serial killer (laughs) right yeah, that's about. Although I guess it was nice that Todd and him have finally right seemed and to it, bury whatever hatchet they had between the two of them. Was it maybe to do with Billy or something? No, it had to do with uh, Todd trying to winch the face off of Lawrence. Remember? Did he ever try and do that? Though? Yes, he did. And he succeeded. He kissed him, and Lawrence pulled back and said, "Oh, oh no, yes, thank that's you." Right, that's right. No, thank you. That's right, because we were surprised at the storyline. I prefer Sean. (laughs) Nobody believed him. I think we're all kind of surprised that the storyline didn't go in that direction. Because that was was how it was kind of headed. Yes. All right, then. This was an opportunity for Todd to tell someone that he's over Billy. Yeah, which will come up and be relevant in another storyline. Correct. Much later. Yes. Our next storyline this morning, this evening then is Desperately Seeking Zidane. Okay. On Monday, Dee Dee goes round to see Alia to talk her into returning to work, seeing as it's been ten whole days since she was stabbed in the stomach. 
Oh yeah, isn't ready yet. And doesn't really appreciate it when Dee Dee chooses to remind her to write her victim statement for the sentencing that's coming up. Mm. Also, Zidane's back from that London. Uh oh. Late to the party, as usual. Always. <sighs> I will complain He's, about this later. He still has his fringe though. And generally that Lego-esque hair. I think it's <laughs> it's uh, generously described as <laughs> At work, Zidane is worried that the heating has been turned down because they're not doing enough business to warrant having a warm restaurant. Zidane is worried that customers seeing their own breath isn't going to help matters. On the street, Didi bumps into Zidane. Have they met each other before? Yes, remember? Because I thought they were going to hook up. Oh. Didi asks him to check on Alia and the whole victim statement thing. She's worried that Alia isn't coping well. Then Zidane takes a call from someone, someone secret. Ooh. He tells him about the state of affairs with his sister and the business and says that he needs more time. At home, Zidane and Yasmin are making a fuss at Alia. She becomes suspicious and it seems that Zidane, thanks to Didi, is now insistent that Alia completes her victim impact statement. This is supposed to be <coughs> voluntary right. rather than mandatory, snaps right. Alia. Fuck this for a game of soldiers, she says, and she leaves them to it. And she goes straight to the law office and asks to come back to work as her family are getting on their tits. Something awful. Dee Dee is thrilled by this. And Adam is a little worried about how she's doing mentally, but Alia insists that she's fine. On Wednesday, Zidane is trying to make plans for Alia for her 30th birthday when she's interrupted by a knock at the door. And it's only bloody Miriam. She needs to talk. So she's back. She's tracked him down. Mm Mm-hmm. And it turns out, in London, Zidane had told her about Hashim's death and then ran away. Sounds sounds about right. Yeah. He asks her to keep Alia's name out of it if she's going to go to the police, but Miriam has no plans to punish them both. It's all in the past, and Hashim is quite dead now, and nothing's going to change that. Yes. Plus, she still loves Zidane, and she wants him to come back to that London. And judging by his sigh, we kind of understand that he's going to knock her back, and we do learn that in the next scene but one wonders what size of red flag Mariam needs here because obviously I let your father die isn't enough to put her off and stole thousands of pounds from your family yeah I mean I can I can understand that she doesn't we like her so we're so we're kind of happy about this oh and he is punching way above his weight (laughs) right so yeah we love her she comes back chasing after him again because I think yeah. she chased after him the first time. Right. She now knows that he stole 50 grand from the family business and he stood and just let her father die. Now, even yes. if she and Hashim weren't on the closest terms. and she you know, had some question marks over his, his business dealings and stuff, he'd still maybe take your dead father's side and all this <laughs> well to the well, when compared with your uh, your I don't know how you would describe Zidane in this but he's your your ex-husband he was only married we get the impression that he was only married to her for was he married to her for the job that he had I don't know I, I kind of remember them being I don't know but remember they did kind of they did seem to be in love the last time it does seem like it, it kind of feels like this should be a red flag for Zidane that there's something wrong with this girl if she still wants you 
after all these other things and happen. chases 200 miles up the country right. after them f- for on more than one occasion right Later in Spidal, Z comes clean with Alia about the lie that land back in that London, but neglects to tell her about the Hashim stuff. So it comes as a complete surprise when Alia bumps into Miriam and Nina's roles, and Miriam tells her all about the Hashim stuff and seems a bit angrier about it now than she was earlier with Zidane. Alia blames herself for Zidane knocking her back and is sure that he's nuts about his wife. This is all meaningless to Miriam, and she catches her next train to that London. Later in Nina's roles, Alia grabs Zidane and tells her and tells him to get his arse back to that London to be with his wife. She would rather that he was where he wanted to be rather than where he thinks he needs to be. She insists that she's fine again and doesn't want him missing out because of her. He promises to think about it. Kinda. Back in Speeddal, Alia is back working to prove to Yasmin and Zidane that she's okay. Yasmin, who had her own mental issues for months, says, let's take her at her word as it'll further the storyline and allow you to fuck off to that London later. Mm-hmm. Back home, it's clear Alia still isn't right. Zidane isn't banging either and has no intention of following Miriam down to that London. Family first. Alia calls him a moron. But then she does a kind of cute little heart-shaped thing, but she sneers at him and sticks his tongue out, and he kind of yeah, does it back. And it's siblings. Kind of, and it's kind of lovely. Right, yeah, this is what siblings do. On Friday, Zidane is making a happy birthday cake for Alia's 30th. He and Yasmin are still convinced that she's doing well and is putting the double attempts on her life so far this year behind her. At the law office, everyone is fussing over Alia, even though she has the day off or she's supposed to have the day right, off. Right, but she came to work anyway. Mm. She goes off to put some flowers in a bucket, which lets Adam express to Dee Dee that they need to get rid of Alia before Jaden arrives, whoever the fuck that is. And I was like, do we know who this is? And I don't think we did know who that is. For a second, I thought it was the kid who stabbed her, but I was like, there's there's no way they would represent the kid who stabbed her. No, and his name wasn't Jaden. So I was like, who's this Jaden? I was like, have I not been paying attention uh-huh. earlier in the week, which is absolutely pos- possible and, yeah. and, and probable, really, but... No, you were fine, because I didn't remember him either. Oh, well, that means that we're both okay then. Yes. So... <clears throat> At the law office, Alia learns about Max's sentencing and another storyline, and in light of that, she agrees to take the rest of the day off. In fact, take tomorrow off too, says Dee Dee, who was all in Alia's business trying to get her back a day or two ago. So with Alia gone, this Jaden arrives, and now I think we learn why they wanted rid of Alia, because this twat has been done for stabbing someone too, and is looking for Adam and Dee Dee to get him off, but not like that. So he stabbed somebody? I think so. But somebody not related to anything in the, the story not so far? Not related in any shape or form, but just because he stabbed someone and Alia was someone who has been stabbed. Correct. Maybe maybe Alia could do without listening to this. Right. As, a, as what I think this is about. I guess. Which seems weird. a really strange branch of the storyline. Back home, Alia has a surprise for Zidane at her birthday tea. It's Miriam. Yes. Alia insists that she's okay again and tells Zidane once again to fuck off to that London again. again. So Zidane leaves again for that London and makes it sound like this time might be a little bit more permanent than the last. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, so why bring him back at all? Bring him back just so he could leave properly? Again? 
It doesn't make any sense. Well, when you left, didn't you leave the last time to help set up a restaurant or something? Right. Her so, friend. So I guess there was a kind of temporary nature of that, or so we thought. I guess. Now, normally when that happens and they don't want to come back, they just don't come back. Right. And someone will mention at some point months down the line, oh, Zidane's now, I don't know, a pearl fisherman in, in Bali. Wasn't that just Mary's son? <clears throat> oh, no, he, he was never a marine biologist. Don't go. He just played one on TV. Yeah, don't go thinking that he was. <laughs> yeah, it seems this time they brought him back to bring Mariam back so they can leave together. Because now if they leave together to go to that London because she's taken over the restaurant and wants him involved in it, now there's a reason for them to be there on a more permanent basis. I guess. But it seems... Of, do you know, considering that they couldn't bring him back for Alia getting blown up. Right. They couldn't bring him back for Alia getting stabbed. Initially, they yes. They couldn't get him back for Yasmin being uh, coercively controlled and right. emotionally abused by Tim's dad. Right. But they bring him back for two days just to tell him to fuck off again. Yeah. Yes. For, for no good reason. No. And this also bums me out because this means that the Zidane DD thing isn't going to happen. The ZD thing is not going to happen, or at least oh, isn't going to happen. Yeah, it should work just for that little yeah. shorthand. Yeah. They are a pasta shape, ZD. Or DZ, they could be a demilitarized, demilitarized zone. zone. Yeah. That would be a DMZ, wouldn't it? Only if you want to say that D is a word on its own. I suppose. And, and I choose not to ah. for the purposes of of that comment. <laughs> yeah. It depends upon which post-apocalyptic show you're watching. It's a shame that we're not going to get the, the two of them. To, well, it's not even a, sh- a shame that you're not going to get the two of them together. I don't really care about the two of them. I just okay. think it's a shame that, that Miriam's seems to be gone and is not coming back. Right. And was only brought back to, to take help Zidane. To help him pack. I don't right. know. To be the reason for him to leave. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't even need to come back to be that reason. But they brought her back anyway. <laughs> to get a and there cake. are so many... To give her a bit of cake and then send her And it is train. weird because there are so many times that there's like a wedding or a funeral or an accident where somebody is hospitalized like the three things i've just mentioned and you think and and certain members of the family don't come back for the funeral wedding or whatever right and you think oh well they just didn't want to bother getting that actor back for five minutes yeah and that's fine and that's fine and you can go with that okay zidane doesn't come back when Nalia gets Mm -hmm. blown up fine right but then don't have them come back two weeks later just to leave again yeah do one thing or the other right. this is kind of both and it, it silly just makes it just highlights the fact that they don't come back for something important right yeah he comes back after the fact yeah. he doesn't want to be involved in the nitty-gritty of his his grand being co you know manipulated mm. and abused or mm. his sister almost dying twice it's right. it's the aftermath that he's good at yeah and even then, eh. not really. So, Alia, for all her claims that she's fine, 
clearly isn't. No. And I guess who could blame her? <sighs> not me. She should still be in the hospital. She should, she should not be able to breathe properly yet. There's a... Oh, right. She should have problems sitting up. Right. And standing up. Yeah. And, and moving. Much less walking. <laughs> right. Somebody in another storyline will say that she almost died in that knife attack. Mm-hmm. You would not think of listening to anything that Alia has to say on the matter or the fact that that the, the main uh, symptom or the main uh, consequence that she had of being stabbed was wearing a big puffy jacket and shuffling about the street for a day. Right. That was that was her recuperating from... Right, a collapsed from, lung. From, and a near-fatal stabbing, if if the courts are to be believed. Aye, 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 aye. But again, it's doing something half right, or it's doing yeah. something quickly because I get it. Ali on a hospital bed for two weeks doesn't make for exciting TV. But you know what? It doesn't have to. You have enough characters on this show. Alia could be recuperating and people could be talking about Alia being in the hospital for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And we could just like occasionally every once in a while see her in the bed recuperating right. and looking out into the distance and sighing and, you know. Because when they bring her back as quickly as this, it makes me think it's because they've got something else they need to do here. Right. Like she's going to get shot next week. Or And it makes it, makes it seem inconsequential that she has been stabbed yeah because and blown up right exactly you know it's it's like it's it's like um when you watch like superhero movies for example or or shows about war or the apocalypse that go on for an extended period of time and nobody that you really care that, and people die, but none of them are characters that you actually care about right. that ever die. And so there are no stakes. The stakes are lessened because people you care about are never affected. And that's what this show has become. This Coronation Street is the Marvel cinematic universe of soap operas. It's kind of ridiculous. I think that's a kill soap, people. It's a soap opera trait, obviously, to keep your your main talent in the show for as long as possible. But every now and again, there has to be a Game of Thrones moment where, holy shit, they've just cut Sean Bean's head off. Yes. <laughs> they should. They should do that once every season of Coronation Street. They should bring Sean Bean on just to <laughs> cut off his head, just to have him decapitated in some way. Weren't you on last year? <laughs> it's just oh, too he bad. got his head cut off too. It's just too bad. Kathy's left. She'd oh, enjoy that. No, best not going down that road. That's best left alone, I think. <laughs> Let's move on then. Let's yes. get away from that nasty business. Mm. And on to Brian and his Jimmy Jams. <laughs> on Monday, Brian is shit out of luck. Yes. He's in his jammies with no power, and Ed wants to rewire him, and it's going to take a couple of weeks. But it's his flat that he wants to rewire. Right. He can't even get a shower, so he begs a passing Mary to use hers, and she's only too pleased to help. And he can even kip on the couch at Island, she says. Then a passing Amy shouts on Brian that his bobby's poking out of his gym jams. <laughs> yes, so it's like Brian is Michelle Williams 
and Ed is Hong Chao in this new A24 art house movie that's coming out this year where they're all like artists in a gallery. Called Jim Jams. <laughs> yes. Brian packs a few things, but as he's leaving, wouldn't you know it, but the program for that play that they were in a few weeks ago, what was mm-hmm. it called? Who knows? Rosanna. Roxana. Yeah, because it was supposed to be Roxanne, yeah. The programme falls out and there's a handwritten note inside it and Mary sees the note, puts two and two together and realises that the critic who gave her such a brilliant review is Brian. Insulted and hurt, she calls the move off and Brian can sleep on a fucking tip for all she cares. So Brian comes into the florist later to speak with Mary and to apologise for the fake review, which he says was done with the best of intentions. And it wasn't really fake because it was published. It was published. That's not fake. It was published in a real newspaper. Yeah, but the sentiment of it was faked as far as Mary's concerned. Yeah, but it wasn't really because Ryan did genuinely love her performance. Ryan did? Brian. Brian. And was honest about it. Ryan was ambivalent about it. Yes, he was too busy DJing. Tough shit, says Mary, because Eileen has put the kibosh on the use of her sofa anyway. Adina's roles... Rightly so. Yeah, because there's far too many people in that bloody house to begin with. Far too many people. Adina's roles, Brian learns that work is progressing in the flat, but it's going to still take some time. So Amy, who has been turning up throughout the storyline for some reason, turns up again to offer Brian a spare room at hers, which will help with their rent. Brian is thrilled to accept the dirty, dirty man. (laughs) They're like, wait a minute, if we're to go to sleep... Because we learned at this point that the people that are living in the Young Crew flat now at this point is Amy and Aaron, because Summer's moved back to Billy's. To Billy's and, and Jacob Jacob's is gone. Whatever. So there's only the two of them left. Right. And I always thought that that was a two-bedroom flat. Uh-huh. Because where's Brian going to sleep? Well, uh, maybe there are two beds in Aaron's room and he can sleep. They can share a bedroom. That's fine. Or do you think Adam would be okay with us? Seems that he would just. He seems well. Yes, cool. He seems okay with us about all of this because he's not sleeping with Amy. With Amy, no. and Amy's not sleeping with Aaron. No. So maybe there's a third bedroom because he's not sleeping on the couch either. On Wednesday, so Brian now lives with Amy and Aaron because that's what would happen. Ingratiate- it's like Tyrone. Remember when Tyrone was the old man in the young people's flat? I know, but Brian really is an old man. He's not really. He ingratiates himself by making bread and butter pudding with custard. Sadly, Amy is lactose intolerant. And Brian, Did we know that? Uh, maybe. I'm sure I've seen that child eat cheese. I don't think I've seen that. Amy's, Amy says she's lactose intolerant right. and Brian has used her dairy free chocolate in the pudding and has used the flat's petty cash and all the bread yes. to make the dessert so already Amy is kind of pissed off at this which is remarkable because it was her idea less than 24 hours ago right yes and you know it was a lovely thing and I'm sure it, was a lovely it, makes, gesture. The pl- it makes the place smell nice it was a lovely gesture by Amy, and it was a lovely gesture by Brian. Brian. So later, Brian has replenished the supplies and the kitty. Amy is thinking of inviting some friends over and worries that this won't be Brian's cup of tea. Brian, though, is very excited about conversing with the younger generation. 
Sadly, though, he has some stock take to do tonight, so he won't be able to oh, be no. there anyway. But Brian decides to blow off the stock take anyway, and instead he gets pushed with Aaron and Amy's friends and helps them with their essays, much to Amy's chagrin, who is now determined to get Brian and Mary back on terms. And Brian says to them, just think of all the money that your parents are spending on your education. Right, yes. And so they all go home to get back to studying, which Amy is... It's not happy about Some of them one stay, though, and get help from Brian, which is quite nice. Yeah. On Friday, Brian is tidying up the young crew flat, but is making such a noise in doing so that Amy is furious and she's woken up. He's drawn up a rota, which Amy says he can shove up his arse. Right, right up, up his, his arse. arse. She also tells him to get himself... <laughs> get himself dressed again for fuck's sake so, right cause, yeah because the camera pulls back for the first time and we see that he's he's in his boxers on a t-shirt right and his robe to uh, be fair but it's open yeah amy goes to the florist to see mary to beg her to forgive brian so he'll move out of the young crew flat and back in with mary she plays up brian's regret for disappointing mary and treasuring her friendship and she really lays it on thick she really does mary falls for it and she melts. Line and sinker. So Mary meets Brian and Nina's roles later. She admits to being upset these last few days about them falling out and admits to overreacting. She explains a lifetime of wanting leading roles and ending up in the chorus. Brian insists every word of his review was from the heart. And as a peace offering, Mary gives Brian a DNA test. He just took a DNA test. Turns out Brian is 100% that bitch. <laughs> Oh, is Mary's that what that bitch. was about? No, it's to find out whether or not he's really Mexican, which of course he's not. That whole thing is just weird. That was a sombrero. Right, yes. Because- which somehow seemed to float on Mary's head when she <laughs> put it on. They do that. Back at the young crew flat, after hearing that Brian and Mary have made up, Amy assumes that he'll be leaving. But no, Eileen's is far too busy, so he'll be staying on until his flat is finished rewiring. And then Mary arrives for dinner. Aaron thinks this is hilarious and leaves. And Amy wants to kill. And that's as far as we get with Aaron this week. Amy means death. This was pretty funny. It was funny. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I would have liked it to take a little bit more time for Amy to have got pissed off with right, the situation. Yeah, it was super quick. Right. When she must have known. She knows what Brian's like. Yes. He's annoying. Yeah, again, this is somebody she's had around her her whole life he was a teacher in the school she went to for pete's sake um aaron's really weird isn't he all of a sudden he's weird it's always been weird yeah but weird different he's weird now he's drinking a lot more he's drinking a lot which which is you know something that children of alcoholics do i can go one or two ways right they're either sworn off drink for life yeah. or they can uh, maybe develop a problem themselves. He, right. was, he hasn't, he's not doing either at the moment. He's just he seems young and drinking. drunk all the time this week, which is weird because that's never happened before. Was that the glee that he was taking from Brian being there? Because I thought he was just happy that Brian was was making them laugh. He seemed a little but stoned, he, he thought he was drunk quite frankly, when that was happening. Yeah. I don't know. He's a strange character, Aaron. He is. And his introduction was strange. Yeah, and his continued presence is strange. Although I guess he and Summer are back together. And he's working at the 
I don't garage. understand why Summer doesn't Some move things. back in. Why doesn't Summer move back in? Because she, why? Can't, because she can't be trusted not to try and sell babies. <laughs> what more reason do you need? <sighs> yeah, that but girl, must she suffer that Billy? That girl will try and sell a baby must given she, half a chance. Must she suffer Billy for the rest of her life? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd rather that Billy suffered Summer than suffered some other options that well, are available to him. We'll get to which that. We'll get to. Yeah, I think Brian is is good value for money, and our friend Peter Gunn plays it really well. Absolutely, he's got great timing. He does, and the scene between him and Mary and Nina Rolls. Don't know if you noticed the dialogue between the two of them as they're talking about uh, the the play review mm-hmm. and and. Mary's lifetime ambitions and always been kind of having them scuppered and ending up in the the chorus and mm-hmm. and just dreaming of getting that great review and, right. and all that sort of stuff. The language that they were using was very reminiscent of the play that they were talking about. Yes. Until uh, Nina arrived and Brian ordered an Eccles cake. Right. But up until that moment, it was the Eccles cake that kind of snapped them out of it. They were right. very much in the kind of reverie yes. and the fancy language of, this is, of this the is, play. This is the the continued allusion to a future romance. Yeah, I don't know if that would ruin it or not. <sighs> it would make me happy because it would mean that they finally accepted that Mary is a human being with needs. Yes. And not just... Not just Kirk and address. When you say it like that, that sounds really harsh for Mary. Mm-hmm. Kind of accurate for Kirk, I guess. But but Mary should always deserve to be more than walking down the street with a yo-yo or or variations thereof. Right. Or flossing on the street for no reason. Although it was good when she did it that. It was good and it was funny, but also she's like one of the very few characters that you could do things like that with. And then they. But does that feel like something Kirk would do? Yes. And yes, there's the answer to that. Right, and and then they do this thing with Mary that you know, for a while there during the play, she was acting like she's never been kissed, and you know, she's awkward around romantic things, and she doesn't know how to play romance. But now she's back to being original Mary, talking about sexual exploits in in the in the 80s and stuff so you know i don't know it it would be nice if they would keep her a little bit more consistent but then again that's kind of my complaint about nearly every character (laughs) and and we know that consistency and long-running drama doesn't always go hand in hand correct yeah, we'll keep an eye on this Aaron situation. Yes. Moving on then, our next storyline is Badgie to Bike. On Monday, Peter's bet is due to close by the end of play today. He explains the mechanics of the trading bet he has with Carla to Abby and Kev, who are still married, and how <laughs> he's trying to get from Badgie to Bike. Abby looks like she might have an idea to help him here. Hmm. So she goes round to see Peter... And his new flat. And this is the first that we've seen Peter, Peter and, and Carla's, Carla's flat. flat. And isn't it earthy? It is earthy. Which I can see. 
I can see their flat being earthy. Mm-hmm. It feels very, it feels very Peter, <gasps> but it also feels very Carla. It, I was going to say it feels very Carla. It mean. feels very both of them, you know, unlike Adam and Sarah's flat, which just feels very Adam and does not feel like Sarah at all. Mm. Gary and Maria's rose gold flat. It's so Maria. That's so Maria. That is so and, Maria. And yet, I can't imagine Gary living anywhere else. No, but... He feels very at home there. He feels like... And I don't know if it's because his hair is very close to rose gold itself. That's what, that's what I was about to go. <laughs> you could see that glint in my eye that... I could. I had a Gary's hair joke coming up. <laughs> now I don't have to tell it. No. I did it for you. You're welcome. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's very well appointed. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that we've waited to see it for as long as this. Yeah, and that's I, all I don't it know is. how long they've been in that flat, but we were there quite a bit this week. And I was, every time I was like, or every day, mm-hmm. the first time it's in the episode, it's like, where are we again? Now we just need to see the inside it's of Audrey. Is this in the precinct? Now we just need to see the inside of Audrey's house and then... And then it's we'll never, never going to happen. And then we'll know where everyone lives. Mm. So wait, where does Debbie live? I think she still lives in the rape hotel, doesn't she? That's a weird thing, isn't it? <laughs> well, you tell me, Debbie's not weird. We got to see her in the Rovers this week. Yeah, so and nice and that they dressers. So nice that they let her out now. Yeah, <laughs> she's not chained to the bistro anymore. That's right. And now nobody has chained it anymore. No. Ryan, maybe. No. Anyway, Anyway. the flat is earthy tones. Abby has found Peter a bike uh, with an owner who might be willing to sell with a bit of cash thrown in. Peter isn't interested because this whole thing is about breaking capitalism and it's all about trading up. Right. And he isn't interested in cheating. No. But Abby leaves the note about the bike's owner with him and it was pretty funny when Carla came in and right. said, oh, She's what's like, going on? What are you on? doing here, Abby? And I was like, he was seducing me. Right. And, <laughs> and it just walks out. And, right. it's, and it's never mentioned. Right. And <laughs> nobody, yeah. And it's fine because Carla knows it's not true. Right. Although the two of them did have a thing together. They did. It's nice that how people did we remember feel, that. How did we feel about that at the time? We felt that it was kind of odd because Peter was so much older than her. And then she goes and marries Kev. Yikes. So. Kind of wish I hadn't asked that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> deciding that he wants to cheat after all because Carla's been a bit of a bitch to him. <gasps> Peter meets up with the seller of the bike and tries to offer the tablet in oh, exchange. Oh, that kind of cheating. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> tries to offer the tablet in exchange. Warns him, look, it's got a bit of a cracked screen. The biker is about to laugh it off, but then sees the cops at the end of the street and hurriedly accepts the trade and fucks off. So Peter is checking out his new bike when the cops wander along and ask Peter to maybe accompany them to the station because the bike is stolen. Is stolen. What a surprise. So Peter is explaining again in meticulous detail the rules and regulations <laughs> involving this trading bet that started off, would you believe, with an onion badgie. Abby and Kev come to back up his story, but this just results in all of them having to give statements. No, pig's tits, says Abby. Yes. At the station, Peter isn't arrested and gets his tablet back, which I guess must have been recovered. And he's off the hook. 
And a woman is lingering around the entrance to the station and seems to overhear all this. Yes. And Peter continuing to go on to anyone who will listen and about his stupid bet. detail about the stupid, stupid bet. So let me, let me just tell you again. It started off with an onion badgie. Mm-hmm. So outside the cop shop, the woman introduces herself to Peter. She bought that bike for her husband, a husband who has since cheated on her. <gasps> so she is quite happy to swap the bike for the tablet with the broken screen right. for reels and to stick it right up her lousy husband. Yes. So a cock-a-hoop Peter rides his bike back to Coronation Street and it's all legit this time and he demands his leather jacket and for Christmas he suggests that Carla gets a sidecar so the two of them can be like Wallace and Gromit. And I love that. And, 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 and Lovely and, cheese, and, Gromit. And Carla's like, which one rides in the sidecar? And Peter says, the, the dog. dog. And Carly gets upset. But then Peter says, the dog's the smart one. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it's that true. so much. It's true. Because it is true. <laughs> now, I have enjoyed this since it's, uh, when it raised its head. Right. What, about a month ago or whatever? It was New Year's Eve. Was it? Yeah. Was it as long ago as that? Yeah. And it disappeared for a couple of weeks. And I thought, right. well, this is a storyline that it's, I can absolutely buy into. This, it's the Anorak all over again. This is interesting. And yet it came back while the Anorak did not. Now, they missed a vital middle portion. And they teased us with the details of this middle portion because mm-hmm. one of the times that Peter's gone through the, the rules and the regulations and the history mm-hmm. of his trading bet, he mentions the onion badgie, he mentions the pen... He mentions the cheese grater, and he's kind of taking a breath to mention the bits that are in between that right. take him from cheese grater to, to tablet, tablet, and we never hear it. No. And I, for the sake of completionist... You want to hear it. I want to hear what those items were. Yes. And I want it to be semi-believable. Mm-hmm. Because an onion badger to a pen, sure, I can believe that. Mm-hmm. A pen to a cheese grater, I can probably believe that too. A tablet to a bike, even if you want to get revenge on your cheating husband. I don't know, would you Would you just keep the bike? No, know. because she's never going to ride it. Or sell it. Because she's stuck with a tablet with a broken screen now. Yeah, she can get the screen fixed. It's still just a tablet. So? She can get it fixed. And then she doesn't have that stupid motorcycle sitting around. Mm. As a reminder, because mm. the tablet doesn't, the tablet reminds her of revenge. So it's the sweetest thing. I suppose. Yeah, I, I liked this a lot. And I liked the, I liked the culmination of it. And I'm, whether I believed it or not, getting to trade up to the bike. The, the fact that it was stolen, I guess, was it stolen? So the guy who stole it. Yeah. Was the husband? No. No, that was somebody else. Yeah. It was stolen by somebody else. She retrieved it. That's a little convoluted then. Hmm. But still, the fact that he got his bike. Yes. I I like that. Me too. This is a sort of... Of course, he has to have the bike for another storyline as well. Sure. Whether that was... I don't think think that was uh, realised... At the time, I think this is just a a happy circumstance that the bike can be involved in the other storyline. Right. But 
Yeah, I was I was glad that they had this this little arc here. This is the sort of thing that they they do all the time in in classic Corey. In classic Corey, at the moment they've been planning for months for a reenactment of a English Civil War battle, and it's fantastic. Yeah, because you've got fantastic because you've got two opposing characters and Roy uh, on the Roundhead side and uh, Fred Elliot on the Cavaliers side, right? Who are who eventually start treating it like it's an actual war, right? And again, it goes to a kind of ridiculous conclusion, but, right? Yes, but, but getting there's pretty good fun. So yeah, that was I was all for this, and it doesn't involve slavery, so it's fine. <laughs> exactly, and it gives us a chance to see the inside of Peter's flat. So what's not to love about that? Right. Moving on, then our next storyline is the Vickers Knickers. Really? Yeah. On Wednesday, Dee Dee and Paul are the original odd couple as they talk about her cinnamon. But they're not. Quitty puffs. They are not the original odd couple because they're both. They're both the um, not Jack Lemmon, the other guy. Walter Matthau. They're both Walter Matthau in this situation. They're both messy schlubs who won't do the dishes. The original odd couple. <laughs> she insists that they head off into town later to get sloshed. So later, Paul is like a half-shut knife from working extra shifts to help pay for Gemma's wedding. A passing Billy is proud of Paul's commitment to his sister and asks him out for a drink later, claiming that he hasn't seen Paul for ages. You're looking at him right now, Billy. Yeah. And also, you've seen him an awful lot because you were both involved in rescuing Summer from the crazy Christian couple. And... Also, all the summer stuff that's been going on for like a year and a half. Absolutely. So, later Paul has to change his plans with Dee Dee. Rather than going into town, they're going to go to the Rovers instead. So, in the Rovers later, Paul's with Dee Dee, but he's not interested in her chat. Instead, seems to be watching the door for Billy to come in, mm-hmm. which he does with Downer Summer. Dee Dee notices the sexual chemistry that hasn't been mentioned for months reappearing between Billy and Paul. And we also learn a little earlier, I think, that Summer has had a conditional offer from Manchester University. Mm-hmm. So Not Oxford. Not Oxford anymore. <laughs> I, this reminds me, I was watching this animated uh, Batman movie last night with Benny. And one of, the, one of the things that occurs is Batman goes into this basement and finds this gun that has been used to kill lots of people and above the desk where the gun is is like a pennant like like that Orioles one mm. right over there that says Oxford and it's like I'm pretty sure Oxford doesn't hand out pennants like that like it's an American college do they? I don't know but, but Oxford University is really a collection of colleges right like like Cambridge's. Right. I mean, I think there's a Glasgow uni that is just Glasgow uni. Right. And Caledonian. Right. That's just Caledonian. But I think Oxford is like Queen's College Oxford or something right. like that. So I don't know if you yeah. have any merch like that. It would be the college rather than the university. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it just stuck out to me. And, you know, the people in the show, like Batman says, I didn't know that. Two-Face went to Oxford and that's my Christian Bale 
impersonation. Oh dear. <laughs> Even though it wasn't Christian Bale voicing Batman. Was it, was it Mick Jagger? Yeah. It was not. How comes you've got that poster that says Oxford on it? <laughs> it was a pennant, not a poster, Mick. Oh. Get it right. Keith. But anyway, continue. <clears throat> oh, that was a. I think I might cut all that. No, out. well, it was just it was just funny to me, and it you know because yeah. this this happens a lot when American TV shows refer to something like Oxford or Cambridge and act like it's like one of our universities because our universities are different from college are in theory different from colleges because they're supposed to be a collection of different colleges in one university, but they're really just kind of. Like a college, Harvard's Harvard. One thing, right? Hmm. There are different schools within Harvard, but it's all Harvard. Yeah. So the rovers, Billy chats to Paul about chow chows. Oh, Paul loves a chow chow. They've got blue tongues. And how Todd is a total dick for shoving the bloke who kidnapped down our summer. Let it go, Billy. Seriously. We shoved Mike. So, Mike kidnapped summer. And she nearly died. Back home later and Paul and Didi are chatting about Billy. Didi thinks Billy has the hots for Paul. Uh-huh. Paul is worried that Billy doesn't realise what a smashing bloke Todd really is. And he says that he and Billy are better off as mates. On Friday, Edina rolls Archdeacon Billy is nursing a hangover. Todd got a vibe last night between Billy and Paul because apparently Todd turned up. Oh, right, he did. yes, yes he, he did. did. Todd does turn up with flowers. Flowers for summer. Says they heard on the grapevine. Into... Heard on the grapevine that someone got in Manchester. Thanks, right. grapevine. Yes, that was quick. Yes, this was one of two characters who received flowers this week. Oh. The, the the florist is. We already talked about the other one. Yep. No. We've oh yes, we Alia. have. Yeah, because um, Alia gets flowers from Didi for her birthday, and like a child's birthday card for turning four from Adam for some reason. Yeah. Todd got a vibe last night between Billy and Paul and thinks it's great. Although a bit surprising, Billy admits to not having thought of Paul like that in ages, but had a sex dream about him the other night. Todd thought that what he saw last night went both ways. But not like that. But not like that, because Billy firmly goes in one one way. way. So Billy goes to the builder's yard to see Paul to tell him that he doesn't have feelings for Todd. After all, he pushed over the man who kidnapped someone. He shoved Mike. He tells Paul that he misses him and wants him back and hopes he feels the same. Paul, though, thinks they're better off as friends. Billy pretends that that and was Ed what he meant. turns on a saw. <laughs> Billy pretends that that's what he was meaning all along, laughs, throws his man bag at a cat and fucks off. <laughs> so Billy, after getting fucking wrecked last night, is back in the pub in the afternoon drowning his sorrows. He spills his guts to Todd, who thinks uh, that maybe he just caught Paul at a bad moment. And then Billy's pushed again when Gemma finds out that Paul has been injured in what is generously being described as a bike accident from another storyline and is at hospital. So she and Billy run off to be with him. In the hospital... Nice little dance motions to that tune, Helen. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> and ho- <laughs> you will get a chance to do it again later. Woohoo! So, in the hospital, Paul is fine and wasting precious NHS resources. 
Gemma goes off for a shite, which allows Billy and Paul to chat, and they have a laugh about the accident on a not-moving bike. And I seem to remember Billy being against bikes before, so I thought this was kind of in keeping with the characters. Mm-hmm. Back at the flat, Billy's making Paul some tea. He admits to feeling sick when he heard that Paul had been in a <clears throat> motorcycle accident. Having his near-death experience has given Paul some some things to think over too, and he's decided that, yeah, now he does want a bit of that vicar action after all. Yikes. So they smooch for a bit, and then Paul pulls away. He says this isn't going to work. He exits the flat, leaving Archdeacon Billy confused, horny, hungover. And frustrated. And still a bit drunk. And yes. that's as far as we get with that this week. <sighs> now, our good friend, Den Lives. Or Den Lives. Den Lives. Den Lives. <clears throat> they hate this. Yeah. And for good reason. Yes, because it's deplorable and we don't like it. It's a fact that they kind of draw attention to the fact as well that Billy says that he doesn't remember thinking of Paul this way, but had a dream. Mm-hmm. In which they were getting it on, so, I guess. So, so that, this is what's driving all of this? The fact that he had, he had one dream. dream in the last what, two years? Right. He had a dream and it got him thinking, apparently. But still... It seems really weird. And and this whole this whole thing saying, well, I would never get back together with Todd because he pushed Mike. He shoved Mike. Paul Well, Paul was the one who actually shoved Mike. I thought I thought we had established that, but maybe not. No. But Paul has done other things to people besides Mike. And these were the things that made Billy not want to be with him anymore in the first place. Yeah, And it's weird that he has this selective memory. Like the time that Paul got pished, dressed up as Billy, and basically took the pish out of all his beliefs in in his own house. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was kind of serious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yet it was played as this is not serious. And it's like, that's very much serious. You know, the show doesn't take Billy's faith seriously. So, no, which is, again, a thing that Dan hates. And I also hate. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm kind of happy that it seems like maybe they're not going to get back together because Paul pulled away and said, nope, not going to do this. It made me very uncomfortable watching them smooch. Not because I have any problem with two men smooching on TV. Um, it's just, I don't want these characters to be together (laughs) and it makes me uncomfortable with them being together because it's like this just, it's not good for either one of them. No. Just, and I'm quite happy that Todd, that it's been firmly established that Todd's not getting back together with Billy either because that doesn't make me happy either. We, We can't have Todd and Billy getting back together again without having a scene that describes why Billy forgave Todd in the first place. Right, absolutely. We we can't do that. And I don't understand why we're not getting that for him and Paul to maybe get back together either. What's so bad about having Billy single? Right, yeah. And what's, what's so wrong about 
him not does he have to be either with paul or todd or no one at all are there no other options in this world if sean can constantly get laid albeit off camera on this show i think everyone gets laid off camera well you know what i mean the character sean why can't billy why is billy not on grinder is is that frowned upon by the church? There's probably like there's 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 oh, there's got to be it. an app. Don't see it. Don't see it. There's gotta be an app for priests. Oh. Oh, or I just think, oh. religious people in general. Yeah, let's not let's not focus not on priests. priests. Yeah. No. Because priests can't Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a, or they're not that's supposed another, to. That's another kettle of fish that yes. I think is outside the the remit of this podcast. Absolutely. I don't want to touch it. <laughs> and sadly, that's not what they said. But. I shouldn't be laughing at that. No, I'm, I'm no, going to it's hell. Terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. But. um, Focus on your job, Billy. Yeah, seriously. How, how Go about do that? your job. How about that? Go do your job and not about what's in your pants. Come on. Resist temptation and it will flee from you. Go read your Bible. Actually, do do some vicarin or archdeaconing or archbishoping or whatever the hell he is now. He's an archdeacon and he has been for, for quite some time. And yet we still don't know what that means. No. He's a head deacon. I don't know if that means... If this is why he doesn't do sermons, or is it he doesn't do sermons because he he's didn't do sermons when he was a vicar. No, he but focus on your job, Billy. Get these people out of your life, out of your flat. Get your key back off Todd. Get your key back off Paul. Focus on Summer for the good that it'll do until she goes to Manchester, at the very least. But this. This going backwards and forwards thing, and I appreciate that he has been single for a while, but going back to a while that didn't really deliver all that much No, the first time round seems to be a very strange hill for the show to die on, if that's the way it's to go. I don't think that they're setting this up just to have it disappear. No. That doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense, but yeah. I like the fact that Billy was kind of knocked back. I like the fact that Paul said we should just be friends. Right. But that's something that Billy should be saying. Billy should be... The mature one. Right, and drawing a line under that mm-hmm. and, and a line in the sand and all that stuff. And he should be drawing a line in the sand over the whole Todd thing for reasons other than just being a fussy bitch about shoving Mike. <laughs> You know, because he's so fussy about it. You know, he doesn't, you, you expect a level of maturity from Billy that the show does not afford him and does not afford his station. And we'll, we'll see him later on being incredibly judgmental and accusatory in another situation, which, wait a minute. Yeah, it, what it, are no, you doing that here? made me very, very angry because it's like if you think that something that that someone is affected by something and it somebody needs help, that's not the way that you treat them. And somebody with training as an archdeacon would know that. Mm. 
Somebody as a vicar would know that. Oh, but we'll get to that. We will get to that. But, dear listener, if you enjoy Billy content, recommended to follow at DenLives on the Twitter. Moving on to our penultimate storyline tonight is Mad Max 3, Problems with the Judiciary System. On Wednesday... God, I hope that's not what Furious is going to be. <laughs> David's apparently been enjoying the booze a bit too much ahead of the sentencing tomorrow. Gail wonders if Max is coping better than they're giving him credit for, and plus she doesn't really care. And then there's roles with Spider, Gary and Maria, and everyone seems... Hey, it's Spider! Yeah, everyone seems concerned for Max. I forgot except, he was still in the show. Except Bernie and Debbie, who don't think the apple falls far from the tree, which Debbie's say, in, the, in Roy's roles! Mm-hmm. Maria thinks this is fucking rich, coming from Bernie. Spider blames Griff for everything. Maria was willing to dingy an assembly for Liam to be with David tomorrow, which Gary was not happy about, but David insists that he's going to go on his own. Later, Gary, who was quiet throughout, tells Maria that he doesn't get how she's on David's side in all of this. Maria insists Max was groomed and it wasn't his fault. And where was David when all this was happening, asks Gary. He can't argue with this blind loyalty. And later, Audrey is in the salon to ask Maria to cover while David is off for the sentencing tomorrow. Seems like Liam's assembly will go on without Maria one way or the other. She asks Maria to have a word with David about this Max thing. She calls Maria their only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. On Friday, David is chatting with Maria ahead of the sentencing. He's still pissed with his family for not bankrupting themselves to find representation for guilty Max and will be attending the sentencing on his own. He sees Max ahead of the sentencing. His hair has grown and looks like Hitler's youth. His brief thinks it'll help that he pleaded guilty and was groomed and plus Arya hasn't submitted that victim statement. <gasps> So that's good. Shock. And I thought, God, that's please. Is that going to come back to haunt Alia? Probably. Max, though, says that he doesn't want a lighter sentence and insists that he deserves what's coming to him. Yes. Gary and Darian turn up at the court. And Gary wastes no time Gary, in acting. such a hypocrite. All holier than thou at Max von Boomstab when he comes in to be sentenced. Max von, Max von Boomstab. Max from the the, Munich Boomstabs of the upskirt Boomstabs (laughs) right the prosecution make their case for the maximum sentence 15 years they said didn't they 15 years they said Azalea nearly died but was out of hospital the next day yeah well this is 15 years for inciting terrorism this isn't 15 years for the stabbing itself no I'm assuming that kid's gonna get much more than 15 years yep The defence has their shot, which is based around Max being 16 and stupid. The judge wakes up and has fallen for the grooming line and sentences Max to 10 months. Not quite the maximum available, which was, remember, 15 years. And it just makes me so mad because, you know, and I understand this is a character on a television show, but the fact that it mirrors real life where... Young white men do horrible, horrible, horrible things to people. And somebody gets up in court and says, oh, they're just young. They, you know, give them a second chance. You know, they're young and stupid and they have their whole life ahead of them. And we don't want to ruin their whole life because of this one silly mistake. Uh, And get a fucking way with just the worst things in the world. And it's always young white men for some reason. 15 years would have been very excessive for this. 
For terrorism? For making these videos. Right. Inciting terrorism. Well, 15 years for that at his age, I think, would have been excessive. But 10 months, ten months seems... There's, a little on the lenient side. There's got to be a middle ground between 15 yeah. years and 10 months. But, because it's 10 months with, with time served as well. This is a character who is winning awards. And they're not going to give him a... I mean, they're going to give him a four month. He's going to be out for probably four months. Right, yeah. Which is kind of how long they give characters for a break after a big storyline sometimes anyway. So, right. So that that's that's... That's what's happening and why that's happening. But yeah. it does it does seem a very strange... It does stick in your craw because this happens in real life as well. A, a very strange leap yes. to, that, um, to that sentence. Gary says it should have been longer. And he's got a point. Yes. David promises to visit all the time, but Max doesn't want anyone visiting and says he's mucked up enough lives. They hug. David says he loves him. Max doesn't say anything. And he's taken away to HM Pool Hall and How I Met Your Mother Season 1 fan club. <laughs> Nina's rolls. Maria is curious why Gary was in court and reckons it was just a gloat. Gary calls Maria babe and says he was there to offer support to Darian. And then he rushes off to pick up the boys before she notices his nose being grown. Uh-huh. I'm suggesting that he's Pinocchio. Yes. That he's lying about that. Something like that. Maria goes to see a pished David in the pub. She reminds him it could have been worse. David worries that not seeing his family for 10 months is going to be tough on Max and on David. And there's something in that because when we see Max in his special training unit thing, it seems his fellow young offenders don't take too kindly to terrorists in these here parts. Oh, no, sir. No. And that's as far as we get with that this week. He's maybe not going to be going out of it as much as, as I thought he would be going out of it because we got that scene at the end there often with his fellow mm-hmm. young offenders, it suggests that there's a continuation of the storyline covering his... His time. His his nightmare in what is essentially a Young Offenders Institute. Right, yeah. So it'll be like, remember when Kelly was in Young Offenders? Yeah. And nearly got raped by that one guy. Yeah, and somebody wrote Murderer in Red Paint. Right, yeah, something something along those lines. Right. Looks like so it's, it's not going to be like prison raids and <laughs> throwing DVD no. sets of How I Met Your Mother no. or Johnny playing pool with, with imaginary cats. cats. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, none of that for, for young Max. Damn it. So, one would hope that he's rehabilitated to some mm-hmm. degree by the time he comes out if you're spending the next four and a half months off you know he's gone from thinking that the world's against him and everyone's out to get him on the outside on the inside he has the very real uh, version of that happening where where people really are out to get him and well, people really do hate him where people are talking a big talk well, who so knows, far, right? We don't know. Based based on what we've seen. If he was to experience that, one would perhaps be a little nervous to suggest that he gets re- rehabilitated in any way. All mm. he's, he's going to get is he's, I guess, some proof that he was right. Yeah. That he is treated like dirt, 
that he is kind of the, well, the gum th- on the shoe of society that no one really cares about. I think he recognizes, though, that he has become the dirt on the shoe. You know, because Alia nearly died. Let's let's not forget. Yeah, he did say some some things that that were encouraging. Yes. I think the fact that he, that he wants to get what he deserves is is, I guess, a, a good realization to come to and almost suggests that he's made peace with the fact that he's been punished for what he's done. I don't know that I believe it though. No. I mean. I kind of believe it, but it it also still kind of feels like he's in shock about an awful lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially if things go bad for him and Young Offenders, right. I think there will be that there may be a quick turnaround where he goes back to "Woe is me, nobody loves me." Yeah, because I'm stuck here. We were kind of threatened with David hitting the bottle. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when he was pouring himself a large whiskey and then yes. um, Shona called him and he was going to ding you the call and then he didn't. Right. That, that kind of suggests that maybe he's not going to go down that road but then Gail finds him with he's drinking beer at breakfast mm-hmm. and he's kind of in the pub getting drunk when Maria finds him. I kind of like their, kind of like for a change where someone is presented with uh, a stressful situation that they don't just resort to alcohol to getting drunk and <sighs> i'm not sure how this is looking for for david right now i'd much prefer if you know he lights up a blunt he should smoke weed that would be much better for him and healthier you think that's what's going to happen no it would be nice if it did well well maybe maybe deal with your problems in a in a less uh Chemical way. way, yeah. You want him to maybe, maybe that would be better. I don't know. Maybe you should start running with with Craig, him and Craigie go running. Hmm. He's got short legs though. Just means he has to do more running. That's true. He does have to walk David the dog a lot. So I don't know. He does that a lot. Well, he does have an enclosed yard with a sinkhole in it. <laughs> no, they fixed the sinkhole. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. I mean. It would be nice. It would be nice if, oh, I don't know. They had a counselor on the street where he could go for therapy. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a second. The Weatherfield Yellow Pages says that they do have something. What? And it's called Toya. Yes. Who doesn't have a job at the moment. No. I still don't understand why she got fired from the medical center. And and yet they haven't rehired a new counselor mm. or anything. Or maybe they have and it's just nobody is healthy enough on the street to acknowledge the fact that they need therapy. Here's what I'm really worried about. Mm. David is on his own and drinking. Mm-hmm. It's only Gail to keep him company. Gary is getting on Maria's tits. Yeah. Maria is going to see David quite a bit to make sure that he's okay. Mm-hmm. And also they work together. I Let's worry, not forget. I worry that something is going to get manufactured between <gasps> the two of them. What? And if you were to see the classic Corey right now, that would that would worry you. Hmm. Because Maria is a good bit older than David. Is she? Like a good bit older. I, really? Mm. I am I am super bummed though because I was really enjoying Maria and Gary and thought that they worked well with one another. 
and made one another better, Mm. you know? And so I don't really like the fact that they've, they've decided to muck that up. Or have they decided? Well, it seems like they have because he's being, you know, very toxic masculinity and, you know, must protect woman. Agarius, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that character's always kind of had a bit of that in him. But it was so nice when he was so proud of Maria for all she was doing and, Mm -hmm. you know, and supported her in healthy ways as opposed to supporting her by telling her she has to be careful and can't do anything because then she won't be safe. The thing about the show is that sometimes it equates the fact that someone is angry with someone else to someone wants to cheat on someone else. Whereas Maria might be angry or disappointed or a little let down by some of Gary's actions. Right, for but I, but reasonable reasons. But I don't think that means that she doesn't love him. No. And, and, the, and the show sometimes confuses those things. Right. Just like being overprotective and broy does not necessarily mean that somebody loves you either. Although so, yeah. I think Gary so, does I, genuinely love Maria. So I hope that doesn't happen, but it looks right. it looks like something is with Shona being away. Something's mm. been kind of set up with David mm. drinking and and Maria's checking up on him. But an who awful knows? Lot. Maybe maybe it will happen the way the whole Paul and Billy thing happens where it, it begins to happen and then one of them pulls back and then we go on our merry way and we can just forget the whole thing ever happened. Right. Yeah, let's hope so. All right, moving on. Our final storyline tonight is The Art of the Steel. On Monday, Adam and Sarah are in Nina's roles having breakfast with refined carbohydrates. Yes, they can't find the brown bread. I would be as upset as Sarah if they couldn't find the brown bread. She's destroyed by the kick in the pie the the business took from Carla last week. Adam thinks this is a chance to cut the apron strings and start off another adventure or something. They're about to leave when Carla comes in, reluctant to fall out with almost family. And so she tells Sarah that she's prepared to take her back if she apologises sincerely. Suck my balls, says Sarah, and she storms out. (laughs) She really does. So Sarah goes round to Michael's with angry, grand plans to relaunch the business somehow. But Michael has no time to talk about it because he's already agreed to go back to Carla in a design capacity. He apologised but had his fingers crossed. Sarah is disappointed. Meanwhile in the factory... Carla wants to know what the state of play is with Rufus Houndstooth's deal. Well, it's fucked, says Stephen. Well, unfuck it, pal, says Carla. Otherwise, you're fucked. So at the Rape Hotel, Stephen approaches Rufus and tries to encourage Rufus to reconsider the deal. But Rufus doesn't care and takes a nice bucket full of beer up to his room that Stephen can see from the receipt of room 304. (gasps) So Stephen goes to Rufus's room with a new contract and thankfully everyone is fully clothed during this. (laughs) <laughs> he invites Stephen in and then offers him a bump of coke or some LSD or some poppers or some ketamine because, or magic mushrooms. Because for some reason it's 1982 <laughs> and we're all doing cocaine and LSD. Where's the angel dust? Let's some, just... some PCP. <laughs> this Rufus Houndstooth's got everything on him. Oh, do you not like this? I've got some pills for you. I've got some barbiturates for you if you want. I've got some amphetamine. Do you want some speed? You want some oxycodone? <laughs> You need some fentanyl, pal. Some, we also find out some that this. Poppers. We also find out that this man is married. Right. What? 
To a woman. To a woman. To a human woman. Stephen passes but spikes a bottle with some LSD drops while Rufus... Or what we're led to believe are LSD drops. (laughs) While Rufus is busy in the bog doing a line and then busy having a heart attack. Reluctantly, Stephen calls an ambulance. The paramedics arrive as Carla is calling Stephen to shout at him to get that contract signed. I thought we were going to have another Hashim moment. Yeah. Stephen actually asks the paramedics to let a barely conscious Rufus sign the contract, but they understandably put the kibosh on that. Then Stephen eyes a blank contract, and we can hear his brain start to whir. Hmm. Meanwhile, Sarah goes into the law office to moan at Adam about Michael's betrayal and Carla being a whorebag about her designs. Michael's designs, says Adam. Right, and thank you, Adam. Thank you. She doesn't want to apologise, so Adam tells her not to and focus on getting knocked up by him instead. Back in the hotel room, with the paramedics gone, we see Stephen seem to practice Rufus's signature, copying from a hotel receipt or something, but then he's interrupted, though, when a prostitute arrives at his hotel room looking for some Rufus Bobby. And while Stephen refuses to oblige, the prostitute insists that she wants paying or she arranged to get him beaten up. And Stephen yet he let her in the room. I still don't understand that. Mm. He lets her in the room and then shuts the door and says, uh, instead of saying something like, sorry, wrong room, my name's not Rufus, and slamming the door. Mm. It's, it's because of plot. Well, sure. But- Stephen, though, has a solution to keep everyone happy, including the gods of plot. Right, yes. And also, I guess her, her pimp... Who who's asleep in the middle of the day? Yeah. Well, pimp's got to sleep. It's hard out there for a pimp. <sighs> Don't know anything else about pimps. No, that's it. Pimping <laughs> ain't easy. So at the hospital, Stephen is glad to see Rufus is alive and as a thank you for saving his life, Stephen wants Rufus to sign that contract. Rufus refuses and offers Stephen a beer instead. He can't work with Stephen, who he describes as dodgy. Wait, he's got beer in the hospital? That's a a joke. Okay, you had me very confused there for a second. (laughs) So Stephen at first threatens to tell Rufus's wife about the drugs, which doesn't exactly get Rufus sweating. So Stephen plays his trump card and plays a recorded message from the prostitute thanking Rufus for all the fantastic Bobby action. And this seems to do the trick. Which is weird because you'd think that anyone married to Rufus would be okay to an open marriage. Yeah. In the other roles, Sarah meets Michael on the cake run and admits that she isn't sure if she wants another child in stark contrast to how she felt last year. Yes, remember that. He tells her to speak to Adam about it and then makes her feel better by saying the factory isn't the same without her. No one's wearing a leather skirt. So Sarah goes to the factory and apologises and gets her job back, mostly because Carla has been missing how Sarah makes tea. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> Slip the kettle on love. Stephen finds Carla in the rovers and gives her the good news that the contract is signed. Carla's happy, but gives Stephen a warning. Don't mess with the bull, young man, she says. You don't want to make an enemy out of me. Stephen says, as if I would, and slinks away. On Wednesday, we're back in the new flat as Peter has deconstructed his new motorbike engine and he's keen to get his mitts on his leather jacket. Carla claims to be too busy and has plans for a management reshuffle at work. Stephen has arrived at work with 18 pounds of coffee for the knicker people. 
He practically clips his heels into the office, where Carla tells him that Sarah has got her old job back, will be looking after the Rufus Houndstooth contract, and he has been demoted to office manager. He's furious after delivering the deal of the century, and he threatens Carla with an employment tribunal, which Carla scoffs at after his recent history, and she thinks, all things considered, she's been pretty reasonable. She has. But later in Nina's roles, he's still furious, blaming Sarah for not speaking up and orchestrating this. She tells him, this is just a power play. She can't cope what with her psychosis and everything. And in a couple of days, everything will be back to normal. And she just tells Stephen to sit tight. Right. And she also just tells Stephen to drug Carla. Sarah doesn't say that. Well, no, but she's once again just offering up information about Carla's psychosis for no reason. But the reason is, of course, to put the idea in his head, although he already had the idea in his head because he's got the LSD. So he goes back to work and starts drugging Carla's coffee with a few drops of the LSD he stole from Rufus Houndstooth. Rufus, who was quick to uh, give Stephen a quick tour of how LSD works. Right. That you don't have big, massive hallucinations if you just have a few drops. Right. Meanwhile, it becomes apparent that Sarah hasn't told Adam that she's got her old job back yet and plans to continue to lie to him about it to prove that it's not a good time to have a baby. Later on the factory floor, Carla seems a bit woozy, so Sean does what is expected in times like this and invites the boss for some booze after work. Right, because that's what you give a woozy person. Yeah. Beer. Team bonding, says Michael. Sarah is concerned that Carla isn't looking right, but she's the only one. In the pub later, Stephen stands at the bar and secretly drops another couple of drops of LSD into Carla's wine. She's definitely not looking great, but insists that she's fine, and then becomes paranoid that everyone is staring at her. Peter comes in and puts a kibosh on the vino, and Stephen wonders, with Sarah, if history is repeating himself, and because she leaves, Stephen has to knock over the wine with the LSD in it, Mm -hmm. which... It's really suspicious, but everyone chooses to ignore it. So Peter decides to take a sniping Carla home. Meanwhile, Adam arrives and has a chat with Sarah. She comes clean about the job and her lack of interest in having a kid right now, and he's understanding and suggests that they revisit the conversation in six months, which seems perfectly reasonable. Yes. Drinks are continuing, but Stephen sneaks into the factory where he knows there are cameras, shreds some paperwork and deletes a few important meetings from Carla's calendar. Right, and it's all caught on camera. And we know that because we saw the camera a couple of weeks ago. Right, when he murdered someone on camera. (laughs) On his way out, he bumps into Peter and checks on Carla, saying that he's worried that she's running on a short fuse these days. Peter isn't keen on indulging Stephen, tells him that Carla's fine, and suggests that he fucks off. But back in the flat, Carla isn't in great shape. She feels disjointed and can see shapes. Some of them look like Ken Barlow, which should be a trigger for Peter to immediately call an ambulance. Right? Clearly worried. He tells her to take her foot off the gas at work. Carla, though, is enjoying the Ken Barlows too much to listen. (laughs) On Friday... It's like her dad's dead imaginary cat. Yes. On Friday, Stephen has an early meeting with Sarah to talk about Carla's behaviour. Sarah downplays it, but Stephen makes it clear that he's very concerned and he almost does it to the point where he's doing it deliberately so that she recognises that he's concerned. In the flat, Peter is dressed in leather with a zipped mask and a gag ball in classic red. 
Yay! He wants to take her for a spin on the bike to take her mind off things. But not like that. But she doesn't want to freeze her nips off and has meetings anyway. Or so she thinks. Mm. Later, Stephen and his endless supply of LSD have drugged Scala's coffee again. Right, which also, let's remember, is caught on camera. <laughs> and they did it standing at the bar in the Rovers as well. It's like, come on! Right, nobody notices? He tells her that she said the meetings were off yesterday, which she obviously doesn't remember because she didn't say it, but it's enough to get her down herself. Later, Carla's seen Ken Barlow's again, and everyone is noticing that she's not herself. Her phone rings, and it's Dick from the meeting wanting to know where she is. She grabs her bag to leave. Sarah thinks that she's been drinking, but can't stop her from leaving. Then Paul sees Peter on his bike and wastes no time in telling him that all this came from trading an onion badgie. Paul is obsessed with bikes, so Peter goes off to get his spare helmet and they're going to go for a spin. Peter is a spare helmet. He is. While he's gone, Paul nips on the bike and makes brim, brim, noises. He's like Trump in an (laughs) 18-wheeler. Meanwhile, Carla goes to the garage to pick up her car, but Abby recognises someone who's been on the muck and refuses to hand over the keys. So Carla goes to the factory and steals the van while Kirk alerts Sarah and Stephen and they all try to stop her, but she drives off in a rush, sees more Ken Barlow's and crashes at very low speed into Paul on Peter's bike. Paul falls over and dies immediately. (laughs) Remember the last time someone was hit by a vehicle at very high speed and lived? Yes. It takes four grown men to lift the bike off Paul, who is rushed to hospital, where his condition is upgraded to alive. Abby has a go at Carla for driving, but she's in bits as it is, and here she is, standing outside, freezing her nips off anyway. She's just going on that bike run with Peter. Right. Back at Carla's flat, Stephen, who nobody likes, turns up to see how Carla's doing and to top up her LSD. Stephen now pretends that Carla told him today that the meeting had been cancelled, Peter isn't putting up with this shite and tells Stephen to sling his hook. And then Stephen must have access to some kind of supernatural vortex machine because he arrives at Paul's bedside in the hospital to whisper in Paul's ear about how Carla was seeing Ken Barlow's when she was driving the van that nearly killed him. Right. Paul has been discharged and turns up at Carla's with Billy. They're both concerned that the accident shouldn't have happened and Carla shouldn't have got behind the wheel. Peter isn't having any of this shite either and tells them both to fuck off. Why hasn't she gone to see a doctor? No, seriously. And why hasn't Tinker got her to piss in a cup after she almost killed Paul? Right, yeah. Why has she not been brought in for questioning or taken to the... Well, I guess she was taken to the hospital herself. Wasn't she in the hospital? No. I thought she was in the hospital. No. No, it was just Paul who was in the hospital. Yeah. And then Stephen, his everywhere. That's kind of what I was saying. You're absolutely right that it just, it seems like he's everything, everywhere, all at once. How he's moving about these sets, I have no idea. And why people still believe him nobody, about anything. Nobody questions his nobody presence. Nobody questions, yeah, it's, it's always, and nobody questions his absence either, <laughs> because he hasn't been lurking over Jenny in quite some time now that... yeah. Everyone, now that Ted's dead. Tim's mum can't remember what he looks like. (laughs) And neither one of them are like, wait a second. Why is he, where did he go? 
Carla tells Peter she doesn't feel like she's having psychosis this time. It feels different. There were no Ken Barlow's last time. Peter suggests that she takes it easy. Her health has got to come first before that shitty knicker factory. When Peter goes off for a chippy tea, Carla goes to the factory and tells Stephen she'll be taking a step back from running the factory for a while and she asks Stephen and Sarah to look after the place for her. And Stephen can barely contain his glee and that is how we end this week's episode. Why is he still here? He wanted to get out of Dodge. two people. He desperately wanted to get out of there and go home. Why is he still here? Does he need money again? He had enough money for a ticket. Why would he just, why would he stick around until he didn't have enough money again? I thought he got some money because he ripped off Tim's mum or something. Or no, no, because he get, he put that money into the, he actually did what he said he was going to with that money. It was the money, it was the moped money from Five Guys, Burgers and Fries. <laughs> Six fellows. <laughs> yeah. He. Six fellows and mellow yellow sure i don't think it has to ring <laughs> it's better if it does he was desperate to leave he's been given means to leave he's been he, he has a motive to leave to get out of the country as quickly as possible to somewhere with no extradition treaty but why does he want carla drugged anyway because he got so demoted. then he can run the factory so he can get a job why does he want a job why does he want to run the factory? Does he want to sell it? Is it because... Because if he wants to sell it, that's a long, long game that he's playing. Right. Or is it... Yeah, because there are a number of other people who have claim to that property before him. It looks like she demoted me. Yeah, she demoted me. She was mean to me. She made fun of my... Tiny, tiny dick. So now I have to get back at her by drugging her with LSD. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> this seems really weird. And I don't... I'm glad that Carla has said out loud that this isn't the same as it was the last time. Right. But if you are... If you are experiencing this after what happened the last time, right. you'd be very quick to get some medical advice. Absolutely. I'm absolutely sure. They would take and they would run some tests test on your you blood and, and say, say Do you know you've got LSD in your blood in right. your bloodstream? And the second thing is with Carla letting Stephen and Sarah run the business, or what happens at the weekend when when he doesn't see Carla and they can't drug her right. coffee or her wine with LSD. Well, and he can't do he can't do that anyway if she's not there. Right. So so then she'll be fine. But then if she or what happens when somebody checks those cameras? I don't know. What happens when he runs out of LSD, which he should have done by now? Because <laughs> there wasn't a full bottle. And if he's using enough to make her feel this drugged up. Because he's not microdosing her, although it the first the only time we see a close up of him putting drops in her cup, it's only like three drops, which would be microdosing. Mm. It's not like he's dumping the whole thing in there. Mm. So I don't know. Uh, none of this makes any sense, and <laughs> no. it's really dumb. Yeah, is what we're saying. What did you think of the bike accident? <sighs> it could. To be fair, it looked like the van 
did hit the bike at, I'm not going to say mm-hmm. high speed, at some speed. Yeah. But the way that Paul went over, he went down in installments. It was like... Right. <laughs> so, really? And he's come out with a scratch in his head somehow and his arms are a sling. Right. F- nothing happened to you. <laughs> Literally, nothing happened to you. And they're all rushing over. Oh, don't, don't, don't move him. Right. <laughs> Why? Because you might tickle him? Why? Because he might have a concussion. From nothing happening to him. Well, from him falling over. Oh, it's pure wee soul. Pure wee soul. Oh. I like that it was uh, Ken Barlow that she saw, but I'm, but I'm now questioning why it was Ken Barlow. Because that's funny. <laughs> I think we recognize that's funny. Yeah. But then she's like, why are those tires moving? Mm-hmm. And Abby's like, they're not. And you would think that Carla would have the wherewithal to say, okay, I'm seeing things moving. I'm seeing shapes that obviously aren't there. Yeah. And Maybe re- I need to go to the hospital right away. And are we really saying that Carla never dropped acid ever? In and, her whole life. And recognizes that, wait a minute, this is what happens when you drop acid. I don't know. I kind of, I think, I think Carla's probably has some experience in this. It's not like she's having a bad trip or anything. No. It's just, ooh, I see weird shapes and my eyes can't focus to drive a van Mm. or to check something off a checklist. And it's made me angry and short-tempered. Um, LSD uh, shouldn't make you angry and short-tempered. And a bit paranoid. Yeah, they, they seem to be confusing the the, the effects of LSD with marijuana with, with other things. Yeah, and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Carla is cocaine there. <laughs> she jumped to the ambulance. Jumping into that ambulance. <laughs> I liked uh, Sarah though. I liked her pretense of her importance in the whole deal. And Adam's like... (laughs) Michael's designs. Yeah, you had nothing to do with this, basically. Right, and and she's so very quick to say, well, I helped. (laughs) You didn't help. You saw his drawings and you you ran with it. (laughs) Oh, well. And I, I I like the fact that Michael finally kind of did something independently for himself. That was hilarious. Away from Sarah. When she goes round to try and get him back on side, and he's like, <laughs> "I've got, a, I'm late for work." I've already got another gig, the same gig that right, I had. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Only now I get to be a designer, which yeah. is nice. So I'm not sure what Stephen's going to do now that he's kind of half in charge with the the factory with Sarah. And so now he can play cock of the walk, and you know, like he's big man on campus here. But why? Right. Is he not concerned at all that somebody is going to find that car roof thing, <laughs> which let's remember is not really in that deep of water. No, no, for all and we- is right by a place where lots of people walk. He didn't even go down river enough where there's no park mm. and no sidewalk. Yeah, I just. It kind of feels like we're a bit late for the comeuppance here. I'm not sure where we're going in this. There are so many people that I'm reading 
who are sick to the back teeth of this, sick to the back teeth of Stephen. I am still enjoying this. See, I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying his Machiavellian role here. I'm, I was enjoying the little twirl of the moustache. I would I would prefer that it was that it had a bit more basis in in reality. I would have preferred that it didn't rely on Rufus Houndstooth having every drug known to man in his inside right. jacket pocket. And also access to a prostitute. But I think it's still actually kind of funny, and I think it's still kind of entertaining. Mm. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like it has something to do with Brian, but I can't put my finger on what. Is it him and, and Mary making up? Is it... Is it him making bread and butter pudding? No. Is it him telling young people? Is it him telling young people to do their homework? No, it's definitely not that. I might, I could maybe be persuaded to the the scene with him and Mary. I I like the language that was used in it. Mm. I liked how they made it not quite Shakespearean, but close. It was it was almost like it was a play. Yeah. You know, with that kind of overdone language a little right. bit. Right, yes, which so they both do so well. Oh, the oh, other. oh, is it, is it, is it Abby telling Carla that Peter's tried to seduce her and then walking out? That was great. That was great. That was like my favorite thing this week. Do you know what? I think it was my favorite thing this week as well. <laughs> I guess that's our moment of the week then. Rather than Brian and Mary. Yeah. Because <laughs> we get so little of Abby these days. Fair enough. That is our moment of the week. Ah, moment of the week. Abby not seducing Peter is our moment of the week. <laughs> or Peter attempting to... No. Abby claiming in a melodramatic voice that Peter is trying to seduce her and then just walking out. Right. Our boring moment of the week. Hmm. Hmm. This also kind of feels like it's got Brian written all over it. <laughs> no, no. It's Billy proclaiming his love to Paul and being interrupted by a saw. Because, oh my God, that was, that gag was old 50 years ago. The whole, I have something really important to tell you, oh. and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna start telling you, and then somebody's gonna start some piece of machinery, and you're not gonna be able to hear me. So I'm going to shout. That's that, hilarious. Uh, um, no, it's not hilarious yet, Helen, because the hilarious part of it comes when they start shouting it, and then the loud noise stops. Right. That's a, that's a gilded lily at yes. the end of that. God, that went but out. That went enough. out with the haze code. I don't know what that is, but it is our boring moment of the week. Oh, well, I think that about wraps it up for another week, don't you? I suppose. I think we've been whittering on about this for quite long enough. Yes. If you've ever shouted something at someone over loud machinery, <laughs> please write in to tell us about it. 
we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more Our Talk of the Street The Talk of the Street Bye Cheerio.